experience officer at Acunet Mortgage, joined today by Mr. Pat McMahon, attorney extraordinaire and broker owner of Closing Time Realty. Correct. Uh, good to have you as we gather to, I think, take stock uh, of lessons you have to share with listeners for you know things that buyers can learn from other buyers or sellers can learn from other sellers or even agents can learn from other agents. So welcome. 100%. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. So I think I, uh, for a lot of these conversations, I'm always curious how you arrived to real estate. Is it the bad joke that attorneys who are, you're a recovering attorney always, but then you were like, you know what, that real estate, I'd like to do that. Yeah. Um, I've always loved contracts. You know, it's kind of strange <laughs> being there, but my, in undergrad, I was a real estate and finance major at Madison, um, went into law school directly there afterwards, continued in more contracts, law, tax law, et cetera. Okay. And I've always enjoyed that aspect of lawyering and any other transaction Come on, I deal like with. that's like semester one of law school, right, is contracts. Yeah, contracts one, right? Then you yeah. get contracts two, and you can keep pushing in those directions. Yeah. I took real estate law as an undergrad, so I couldn't take it again, unfortunately. Um, but so when I started in my law profession, um, I noticed right away that I had a gap in my friend network group of any real estate agents who could help people. So sure. I, I started off on the buyer end, just like, oh, hey, we can assist you. I'm, I know the contracts in and out. I'm good at negotiating. This is something else I do. And we just try to get someone we can trust and start working with. Yeah. So it was a kind of a good jumping off point. Um, it's the only thing I don't enjoy about the legal world is... I like putting deals together. I like putting things together that tend to make sense. And that's why it kind of attracted me to real estate a little bit more. So what is it that you feel? That's a big leap to go from, I'm going to say, the analytical side of contracts into the, how do I say this gently, the emotional side of real estate. So I guess, what do you think has translated from the legal into the emotional. Yeah, that's been the biggest change across the last, gosh, how many years, 12, 13, 14 years at this point is getting, starting with, hey, analyzing all the numbers based off my finance background, putting everything together in front of your buyers and saying, this is what makes sense financially. Here's the past market here before we anticipate going forward. But when I started, we had a down market. You could go out with your buyers and see 30 properties on a weekend and then sit down and analyze and make decisions at what price point makes sense. Oh, because we're talking like post 0809. This is oh, this crisis. is 09 when I really got going okay. and it was just a different which, type of market. Which house would you like? We have many available on the menu. A- absolutely and trying to put the financial sides out and you know you roll with that for a while and no matter what you do I still do today is we compare we do run comps on all properties yeah. give you some idea and valuation but back then it was this doesn't make sense at this price we cannot offer there. Mm-hmm. Now it's okay, this is where I value it at. I guarantee you somebody out there values it differently mm-hmm. and probably values it for more. So what do you feel about the home? What do you like about it? And then we kind of mesh all of our thoughts together to get to a price that makes sense for the individual. You're, you're beginning with the analysis and then you're making a baton handoff to real life and yes. e- emotion. Correct. And that you're never going to strip that out of a house. And that's what I try to tell everybody is, this is a big financial investment, but don't only make it a financial investment. We can say this is a great deal, but the home doesn't fit your family. You still shouldn't be buying that home. 
uh, and there's a great story before we went on air. There's a great story that I want to come back to because you were describing kind of that handoff, the emotional buyers you were working with and competing against a cash buyer. And what does it take? You know, the threshold. But let's let's save that for a little bit. One of the uh, getting going in real estate, I'm always curious. You know, you were describing your that gap in your network. How did you find your first client, friend, family? So, so my first client was technically me. Um, but I. <laughs> Okay. So which how was, did you do for which, yourself? Which, which, I, I think I did fantastic. Excellent. But it, it was a great kind of, you know, be able to go out, review the properties, go through the entire process with inspector, with lender, get everything kind of on the back end and feel comfortable with it. At which point next, my next friends kind of reached out to me and I, I started with like, hey, you guys buy a house with me. I'm going to buy you a big grill on the back end, right? Perfect. So you get something nice on the back end. <laughs> I'm, I'm making money and you guys feel comfortable with someone you can trust who you believe knows everything. Well, I mean, let's not overlook. I think that's what many buyers and sellers want is someone, they knew you. Correct. That's why they trusted you and, and to make a huge life decision. It's a big decision. I think trust is a very large portion of it. So I was able to tap into my friends who were, you know, we're in our mid-20s at this point and jumping off to our first homes. You still are. You look 29 for the ninth time at this uh, point. Right? I, I don't I don't know. I, I was passing off as 60 years old when I was 18 with my gray hair. So that's definitely not the case. All good. So, but your first client, well, and, you know. It's always good to start with yourself as your yeah, own guinea pig, but then... Other than that, it was some friends through college, um, another number of attorneys that I'm good friends with who obviously work in the same way I do. Yeah. We can kind of review contracts together. I think it all put us in a rather safe place that we're able to discuss things on the same level to start with. A common language. Correct. And again, it was more of buyer end. So you know, at this point, I'm not looking to list. I'm not the marketing guru, yeah. you know, no, no photography skills, no signage even just kind of like, this is how we're going to start, you know, no frills, keep the cost down. No one's paying out of pocket and we all kind of win. It's nice. Um, I did. So I guess in, in moving to where things are right now and you know, your boots on the ground, what is the mood of buyers right now? ever shifting and so where as you engage with buyers they are thinking xyz yeah it's a mix obviously depending on the type of buyer you have i have some who are cash buyers right now so looking for a deal per se still yeah you think in the fall here there's going to be a few less listings interest rates are higher than they have been in quite some time mm. and they're figuring well the prices should level themselves out a bit more so i can make a better deal and at the same time Hey, maybe I can actually get an inspection again. Maybe I don't have to give as much in an inspection. That's an that that was an interesting um, transition. Even within this year, you know, you we look back to early springtime and early summertime. The I don't need an inspection was a uncomfortable place, I think, for the market. But kind of sounded like that's what it took to win. In some scenarios, yes? Absolutely. Even last year, I would be talking to buyers at the beginning of the year saying, this is what's happening. I do not recommend in any way, shape, or form waiving your inspection. However, we might be losing out because you don't. And we'd start to see it. We'd put in offers on home, and we'd waive up to $20,000 in inspection items. Like, <laughs> hey, this house almost has to be falling apart yeah. not to get this home. Yeah. And we'd see it close for $10,000 less than we offered. And I'd contact the agent and I'd be like, I know the answer, but inspection and yes. And again, every seller's in a different spot. Some sellers feel like they have a pristine home and it doesn't matter as much, but most are, 
I'm buying my next home. I want this process to be as clean as possible. I yeah. know what to do on my purchase end. Yep. So make this as clean as humanly possible for me. One of the dad and I talk about inspection contingency, and one of the ways that I, you know, characterize it is if you feel like you have the funds and the means to cover whatever might come up in the house that may be the threshold that you could waive an inspection contingency but you got to be like really ready no i mean obviously no matter what comes up there are buyers like that yes not most N not most and again just having some eye because you can never tell what's going on and it's just the extra protection to having an inspector again an inspector's there for three to four hours they can't tell you everything either but it's a better peace of mind, again, as an attorney, the, the better contractual obligations other people have to you yeah, yeah. for getting those things done. Inspectors, they're like having that uncle who like really knows he's a real good handyman and, and can, they might not be an expert, but they want to point out all the things that you should be paying attention to. Correct. And, and they point out the big things. My, my thing is every inspector is going to, I want to say, miss something, but not see something. Because again, you're there for one day at one time. Yeah. And we discussed it all the way through. But the biggest part of my knowledge base has grown be going through with inspectors, right? Uh -huh. So when we go through a home now, we are eyeballing everything as much as we can so that we can get a read on it when we're making the offer even. So like, okay, if we've got a wave, $10,000 of inspection items. What are we seeing here that may fit those criteria? Well, and even then, like you were describing, the first 10,000, the first 20,000, that's going to cover 99.9% .9 of everything. There, if it doesn't, the hole is already in the roof. You, you wouldn't think so, but is there a sewer problem that we're not oh, eyeing yeah. up on? You know, yeah. putting together with a crack in the foundation and mold in the attic and something else just fully going on like a water damage that we can't see it that is going to be ripping on your siding and it adds up. And again, there's a decent chance you won't bind it anyways, but at least having the opportunity to check it out. Good point. You've got a buyer looking in a hot market like Wauwatosa in the 400 to 500,000 range. And, and even though buyers think they might have a leg up compared to the disadvantage they were at earlier in the year, it's still a competitive marketplace when you get into a subcategory like we just described. Absolutely. So, and I think the interesting piece about your clients is they were competing against a cash buyer and you were coaching them on what does it take to win? How much better do you need to be to beat out that cash buyer? Correct. We're not 100% sure it was cash. Just conversations with the listing agent leads you to believe that this may be cash. They can't disclose what is in somebody else's of offer. So we're trying to discern what might be the offer we're competing against. They were at least very, very strong. It was a, it was a strong offer in definitely some regards that the sellers liked that we knew we were competing with. Yeah. So we're trying to determine how to get the right price slash contingency fix. And we're offering windows on contingencies. We're offering windows on your inspection. We're offering windows on your appraisal. And how much value we think the sellers are going to get out of something. Any, any home we go through, you're going to find on an inspection $3,000, $5,000 worth of items. Knick-knack stuff. Knick-knack stuff. They're going to add up pretty quickly. So what do we need to offer to motivate the sellers to say, okay, they're serious. Unless our wall's caving in they're going to move forward at this point. Yeah. But at the same time, motivating them, knowing another offer could be cash, that 
doesn't make a difference if the wall is caving in. Well, and I think as you were sharing with me, it was for these buyers, what were they comfortable with in terms of giving any wiggle room on inspection if they were nervous about what could be an older home? Yeah, the inspection wasn't quite, it seemed like the sellers did an immaculate job with it. The appraisal seemed to be the tipping point between buyer and seller as we were trying to informally negotiate counters. And where the home might appraise is potentially different than what the home is worth. Okay. Right? Appraisal is subjective. An appraisal takes in data and feeds it in. It doesn't necessarily think, well, this yard layout is fantastic. <laughs> My basement's got, you know, 10-foot ceilings. Like, yeah. I don't see $2,500. For, for a that tall guy like you, I think that would be an important point. It's a lot yeah. of value, but there's things that will not be picked up on an appraisal that right. certain homes may have. So if you're willing to give a gap on your appraisal, how much is going to be there? And where do we think this home appraises out for? I think the the point that you made just a moment ago that has the most value for buyers and sellers is the informal back and forth between you and, in this case, it was the listing agent, to understand both without being specific, obviously any competing offers, but also kind of like what is the mood of the seller to try to say yes? I think that's a key value to clients. You're you're trying to incentivize the seller to say yes prior to... 30 more showings than somebody else who may have a different view on the property than you and a different offer that comes in that may or may not be cash, but may be more money than yours. And the incentive for either party to get it done in a certain time frame. because at the same point, my buyers may have decided, hey, a new house showed up. I don't want to be here anymore. Let's go take a look <laughs> at this one. And so everybody's kind of got that time crunch involved unless there are 30 offers like back in the spring. You were highlighting too, especially still in this market, when you're competing against a strong offer like that, something like an escalation clause, there are tools in previous markets that you could use that are, are they outdated? Is that the way we want to say it? Or they're not as strong as maybe they were in previous? They definitely aren't as strong depending on your buyer, right? If you've got the cash buyer, you put an escalation clause in there because you're going to beat everybody out by X, Y, and Z. Again, unless somebody's like, I don't want to sell to a cash buyer. I'm worried you're an investor. But other than that, like, yes, before you're offering $2,000 above, I'm offering $2,500 above. That's not going to cut it if somebody's waiving inspection, somebody's waiving appraisal, somebody's buying cash. So you have to determine if you want to try to use that tool, what number is sufficient that might motivate the seller at certain price points above those other contingencies yeah. on that other offer yeah. while still making you comfortable, right? So if you're willing to go, hey, Pat, $10,000 over that one, that means somebody else paid within 10 of us. Yes. We're fine with that. We're fine overpaying well, yeah. in the market by $10,000. But is that enough for the seller? Depends on the home. So how are buyers you know, navigating what I'm going to call the bang for your buck? That, that through a combination of home appreciation and interest rates, you know, there are ways that we quantify how buyers can actually make that happen. How are buyers coming to the market, though, thinking like, I can get this much house for what I make or for what I'm willing to put down to make it happen? I still think we're in the back end of people prepping for this before that I'm going to buy a house, I'm going to be selling prior to the interest rate rise. So they are just crunching their numbers and saying, this is now my monthly payment at this interest rate. Assuming price points stay the same, where do I feel comfortable on my my budget? 
with the expectation that the markets shouldn't tank. There still is no inventory anywhere. Right. And, and they have no read on interest rates. I mean, that's the biggest thing where no one goes. So if, if I lock in at 6% today, mm -hmm. if interest rates go up, I feel fine. If they go down, you can refinance. So again, I think it's fine. From your lips to God's ears, <laughs> as we say. So I, I think finding that comfortable monthly payment and a home that is in an area that we don't see a relative depreciation for. It, it, it's funny how it it really is about where a buyer begins from. You know, we've got um, buyers who have been looking for more than a year. And if you compare where things were a year ago to now, it's more expensive. But if you're just getting started now, your reference point is right now. And and so your your perspective is it's a little less painful compared to a year or two ago. It's all relative, like Correct. most things. But it's the hardest point for people who are considering upgrading. Their home is fine and sufficient enough. I'm talking to somebody, yeah, they were locked in at 2.8% on 20 years, looking to potentially move an upgrade and yeah. staring at a 6%. And just that <laughs> mental hurdle is yeah. very tough to clear. Do you want more house, more expensive? We can give that to you. <laughs> a 100% any day of the week. So, so to that point, you made a comment on inventory. What is the mood of sellers right now? What is, you know, you got to have a good reason uh, to want to move or a good enough reason. Absolutely. And again, that's the market from spring to fall and from interest rates rising. It seemed like we had a, a higher run of properties in August than I'm used to, at least to fit my buyer's criteria this year. Interesting. And I think people were trying to rush up. We saw a little bit of a dip in rates this summer. You know, people were able to get back in the fours again. And I think that motivated sellers to put properties on the market thinking, hey, we think interest rates are gonna go up or where your prices are going to either A, flatline yeah. or B, decline and trying to up their list period time get on the market sooner well the rates are there knowing buyers are still exist hoping that that interest rate dip is going to motivate buyers to go out and write an offer sooner than later um, i'm still seeing good quality homes and unique homes selling for well above asking hard contingencies one of the stats that brian and i uh, reference for august specifically was 52 percent of buyers paid over the list price so it it, whatever home appreciation might be doing or even interest rates might be doing, people who want to buy are finding a way to win. Yeah, and I think they were carried over from last year. A lot like, you know, most buyers I talk to usually talk to me the fall before, and kind of like, hey, we're going to be prepping to buy next year. What do we need to be doing? Sure. So their mindset is already made that I'm going to be buying this year. They're usually in a fine enough spot where the interest rates – Definitely affect what's coming out of the pocket, but yeah. won't affect their ability to buy. So they want to lock in now because, hey, we've been thinking about this for a year. We want to make sure we can get this done and have no idea what's on the horizon. Well, they know they want to own a house and getting into the house is the goal. And then, as you said earlier in our conversation, if rates come down, your friends at Acunet Mortgage want to figure out a way to help you pay less on that interest rate, lower your payment. 100%. I think Mr. Weber is waiting for all your calls. <laughs> it's true enough. So so on that, uh, you know, how are sellers perceiving their home value? And and the reason we, we bat around this list price number, which every time I have the chance to say it's a made-up number, I will. List price is a made-up number. And so it's it's always hard for me to say, oh, well, you paid over the list price or below the list price. It's like the seller just made it up. 
But ultimately, sellers have a perception of what they think their home is worth. Are sellers, I'm going to say, are they in touch with reality about their home values? I, I believe so. So most of them tie to my neighbor sold for this, my neighbor sold for that. What is So what, it's your neighbor's fault. It, it, it is. It, it drives a lot of their perception on what the home is worth. And yeah. you discuss why your home is different, why the market might be different. But they're still tying their prices to what's sold in the spring. You know, you're going to pick out the highest comp you could possibly <laughs> find and want to list there. And most of my sellers are peeking towards the top of what I'd consider on a list price. But yeah. it's tough because they're of the mindset, well, am I still going to be able to get X? Am I still going to be able to get a, a waiver on inspection or a waiver on appraisal or what am I dealing with? And as I tell them, depending on your sales situation, you may want to list a little bit lower if you want to entice an offer like that. If you're listing on the high end, you're going to be fishing from a very small pool. Right. If you want to list high, all it takes is one, but that can be uh, nerve-wracking, waiting for the one. W waiting for the one, or again, everyone just sitting like, okay, I think it's a bit high. Do I put an offer in? Waiting through the weekend. Hey, Pat, do you have any offers on the table yet? A couple people talking about it, but no offers yet. And mm -hmm. then they can wait through that weekend and then... Do they wait another week? Okay, Pat, just checking in again. Anything going on here? And you wait through the next weekend. It's out there two weekends now. Are they going to come in below ask? Mm -hmm. And could you have driven them higher with a lower price? And again, it's, it's all discussions and every property is unique to that. As always, like politics and weather, all real estate is local and hyper local at that by the municipality and the price point within that municipality. 100%. Well. So I guess... Where where do you feel housing goes from here? We're coming into fall winter time, and then uh, my old boss, John Bells, here at Acunet Mortgage, always made the joke that uh, at Christmas dinner, one spouse would sit across from the other and say, honey, next year I want to buy a house. And then on January 2nd, everybody you know straps it on and says, I want to buy a house. But where do you feel housing is headed in the next six to 12 months it, it's tough to gauge i i try to speak with as many people as i can to get their ideas you know great people acting it yeah I, I talk to commercial lenders um i talk to other agents just trying to figure where does everyone get a feel on rates what are the feel on sellers i think people are still going to be selling i see building new builds going down mm. um so again i don't see the inventory changing drastically and i think prices are going to remain high now, again, are we going to have a, a settling out of the of the buyer end? Maybe, but rents keep raising up. And you're paying yeah. 1500 bucks for a you know, upper and, and walkish off for not much. Yeah. And so when are those things going to break out against each other? I don't know. Unless the Fed drives us into a recession, then all bets are off. Oh.